Welcome to Professors Talk Pedagogy, a podcast from the Academy for Teaching and Learning at Baylor University. I'm your host, Christopher Richmond. Professors Talk Pedagogy presents discussions with great professors about pedagogy, curriculum, and learning in order to propel the virtuous cycle of teaching. As we frankly and critically investigate our teaching, we open new lines of inquiry, we engage in conversation with colleagues, and we attune to students' experiences, all of which not only improves our teaching, but enriches and motivates ongoing investigation. And so the cycle continues. Today, our guest is Dr. Deanna Totenbeard. Dr. Totenbeard is professor of theater history at Baylor University, where she teaches a variety of undergraduate and graduate theater studies courses. In 2012, she was named a Baylor Teaching Fellow, a recognition of great teaching with a cohort devoted to experimenting in teaching. Dr. Totenbeard has also taught in the Baylor Interdisciplinary Corps and is past co-director of the Baylor in Oxford Study Abroad Program. We are delighted to have Dr. Totenbeard on the show to discuss how place affects teaching, what students learn about themselves and each other and others when they study abroad, and much more. Deanna Totenbeard, welcome to the show. Hey. We're so glad to have you on here today. And the main thing that we wanted to talk about is teaching and studying abroad. And teaching abroad is not something that every faculty member participates in. So I imagine that there's a story here to some degree (laughs) of how you got involved in study abroad at Baylor. Uh, Yes, it's um, the kindness of others is how I got involved in it. Specifically, Dr. Lane Scales uh, approached me and asked me if I would like to partner with her in um, the Baylor and Oxford program. Uh, She had been involved in it for years, and there was room for another faculty member to join. And she thought of me, which I was uh, appreciative of and humbled uh, about, obviously. Uh, And specifically, um, she was interested not only in the fact that she had a sense that I would lead good classes, but in the fact that I was um, a good organizer and an administrator, and she saw a real uh, potential there to be valuable to the program. And it's true that uh, the teaching matters a lot on study abroad, of course, and the engagement with students while we're there matters a lot. But study abroad is a lot of administrative prep, a lot of planning, mm-hmm. a lot of communicating with people far away for months before you hit the ground and do it with the students. And it does need that other part of your brain as well. So she correctly identified that I would enjoy those kind of challenges. And maybe that's why not every faculty member does do it. Because yeah. it takes it flexes a different set of muscles. It is. It's not it's not easy. I mean it's it's obviously a uh, a pleasure, a privilege and worth it, but it is a lot of work all year round and then the work on the ground. So she approached me in about two thousand fifteen. And I co-led Baron Oxford with her until 2020. Right. 2019 was our last trip together. So how does that partnering with another faculty member work, both in the planning stages of it and in the actual on-the-ground working with students abroad? Uh, well, the, the on-the-ground and working with the students abroad is uh, the, the, the heart of it, of course, and, and the partnership has to be really good there. So we spent a lot of time talking about what we wanted students to get out of the program and then reverse engineering everything else for months to arrive at that. So what were our 
priorities? What were our goals? And how could we make as much of the trip experience um, a good educational experience for the students? They spend a little bit of that time, you know, of those four and a half, five weeks, 24 hours a day, a little bit of that time, a small sliver of that is in class with us. We have classes in a classroom with them. But we are so aware, and we're from the first time we started talking, that the learning that's happening is 24-7. And how do we create a trip that enables the kind of growth we would love to see students have? And then we reverse engineered it from there. And we were of such a like mind in those goals that it was a lot of fun to plan it. It strikes me that one of the main differences from the student perspective when you're studying abroad, whether it's a Yours is a summer program, right? Uh, or a semester is that that they're spending their time outside of the class in such a different way. So what do you see? How do students spend their time? I, I assume there's some structured things that the faculty plan, but a lot of it is is student determined too. So right. how do they navigate that? How do they make those decisions about how to spend their time? Right. We have to sort of teach them how to do that, especially mm-hmm. on our trip where we're we're in Oxford about an hour from London on the train. Oxford's not a huge city, so there's a limited number of things to do, but plenty to do. And then London is not very far away, and they have a train pass. But they don't know what to do with that freedom and that time. And so we have to structure experiences on the trip in a way that teach them how to be independent, adventurous, how to have a curious thought and then follow through on it. Um, we have to give them those tools in a methodical way. So we have to introduce uh, train travel very early. We have to take them to London as a group and show them how to navigate the tube. We have to have lessons uh, in in group meetings where we talk about how to read the train signs and Mm -hmm. how to use 24-hour clock time um, and all all the way from those technical things to sort of the the behavior that's expected on this transportation or what to anticipate the experience being like. We have to coach them on all of that so that they will, by the end of the trip, by the second half of the trip, be doing things like deciding amongst themselves that they all want to go someplace Mm -hmm. uh, and then executing that. Uh, That's what we want. We want them to be independent and to feel bold and brave in going places. Yeah, But we can't just tell them be bold and brave and go places. We have to give them the tools to do it. And that's all happening outside of the technical classroom, but is most certainly a, a, a lesson that they will take for the rest of their lives, how to travel, how to be in another country, how to use public transportation. Um, so we, they use their time, to answer your question, they use their time um, outside of class, uh, studying for class in beautiful places, mm-hmm. going on field trips that are either organized or encouraged by their various classes, um, and then taking free time to explore and uh, being equipped with uh, knowledge and tools to make good choices and, and fun things to go do. Mm-hmm. You don't have to tell any horror stories, but I assume that there, in the in the years that you've done this, you've run into some difficult 
situations with maybe a student who's just not gelling with the rest of the group, kind of a loner situation, or if there's been a like serious homesickness or just kind of freaking out in general, uh, how, how, what's the role of the faculty in, in those situations? Well, again, you, you can't just tell them if you ever have any problem, you can speak to us and then expect that that's how it will work. Right. You have to make a relationship with them first. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing that Lane and I um, were intentional about. So the first few days of the trip, we make sure that we're with them a lot in a large group setting. It's not that large a group. We, we take about 20 students but in a full group setting that they're with each other, so they're making relationships, and that they're with us so that they know us and we've learned their names and mm-hmm. their faces and things about them. Uh, and we have meals with them heavily on the first end of the trip and then spread out throughout. We do group field trips at the beginning of the trip so that they have some relationship. We move around them. We, we go on these scheduled long walks where mm-hmm. you can sort of fall into step next to a student and ask them things yep. so that when they do have a problem – they come tell us or if somebody's having a problem another student feels comfortable telling us so and so was upset today and um, that makes it uh, possible to have for us to be there for them but if it were a much larger group it would be challenging to do that Mm -hmm. it's a it's a sweet spot that uh, faculty to student ratio on Baylor and Oxford. So how many are you usually, uh, yeah, we, usually have in yours? We're usually 20, 18 to 24, say, mm-hmm. students. Mm-hmm. Self-selected for people who thought being in a beautiful place like Oxford and taking classes on literature and sociology and religion or the various things we offer in a, in a new year sounds um lovely and so we sort of self-select for students who oh and they're picking a program that they know is in the 20 student range right so they excuse me they are people who generally want close relationship with a faculty member they want to have a small class and talk about things they're reading and they want to not be lost in a crowd Um, There are programs that are great for people who do need a summer session where they're getting a little bit uh, lost in the crowd in a good way. A little bit of quiet anonymity can Mm -hmm. be just what the doctor ordered sometimes. But the students who pick this trip want to be in relationship, um, and they tend to be pretty intentional kids who pick this trip. Yeah. As crucial as that relationship forming is for the social aspect of study abroad does it ever complicate the academic part of it or does it simply enrich it and in what ways does it in my experience it only enriches it um, but I'm also speaking from the perspective of uh, being a professor and chair in a department that found uh, sort of philosophically foregrounds relationship with students as a primary component of our educational mission we know all of our students we know them by name. They know us. Um, nobody can get lost in the crowd there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of how I always think education is best delivered in relationship. Um, and I can't think of any experiences at Baylor and Oxford in which the students feeling comfortable with us outside of the classroom created any difficulty inside of the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, I, on the contrary, I had students, you know, <laughs> calling at two in the morning because they had missed a train and weren't sure what to do, but they knew they could call. Right. Yeah. And and I would coach them through what mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. 
students inviting me to their wedding years later, students, yeah. you know, um, who who stay in contact. So um, that relationship has only borne good fruit so far, not yeah. wood. You, you mentioned the, the preparatory work, especially thinking about what you want students to get out of the experience. Baylor right now is sort of midway through our quality enhancement plan, which is global education, global Baylor. And with study abroad, a lot of times you hear this word uh, intercultural competency that's used. Uh, is that something that, that you and Lane thought about? Is that how do you craft activities and experiences for the students that that really dive into that? Yes, we think about that a lot. And here's an example of how we um, nuts and bolts try to reach those goals. So uh, Lane Scales teaches a class on sociology. That's um, her area of, of specialization, one of her many areas of specialization. And an assignment that we did every year, she did every year in her class, is that her students in that class, who say are about a third of the group, because our classes are about that size, they would all read... Uh, this wonderful book by Kate Fox called Watching the English. They would read it before the trip, mm-hmm. and they would be given, it's a, it's a uh, popular um, uh, nonfiction book, but by a sociologist about English people. Uh, she would assign them sections of that book, certain aspects of culture. And they would then, on the first day that we're on the ground, we have a group meeting, they would teach as an assignment the rest of the group mores and rules of English social life, things like how to do weather talk the right way, how to wait in line, um, how people uh, introduce themselves, how to be on public transportation. And they would teach that from the perspective of their course and what they had learned about sociology. And the outcome of it, so it's a part of the assignment for that class, but the outcome of it for the whole group is orienting the class towards uh, noticing the differences between American society and English society and conforming their behavior to be uh, good guests in another country. Mm-hmm. And then once that was established, uh, it became a talking point for all of the group every day for the rest of the trip. Somebody would say, oh, I, I, it happened. Somebody on the train asked me a question and I knew what, what to do about that kind of question because of the lesson. And so this is yeah. what I said. Or... They would report at dinner that they had observed some example of something we had we had learned about from the other students. What a beautiful immediacy of what they read in that book, and then and then actually get to experience. It was, and yeah. and that they were hearing it delivered from students to students, and then reporting back about how it went to the whole group, put the the knowledge expertise on the students mm-hmm. as a whole um, in a way that was really good for the dynamic of the group and. That's one little example, but very concrete example of how we tried to build cultural competency into the fabric of the program, not just for people who are in one particular class. Mm-hmm. And that's also a good example of thinking about how the space that you're teaching in, when it's a foreign space especially, uh, affects your teaching. So from from the perspective of your classes, theater and theater history, how do you how do you work that? Well, we were having some of our meetings in a, a classroom in Christchurch at Oxford, but a lot of the um, content is also being delivered on our field trip. So we're going to theaters, mm-hmm. um, we're going to historic sites, we're going to contemporary theaters, and then talking about it as a group. And again, when we would go to the theater, the whole 
Trip went to see a play. Maybe only the students in my class have an assignment related to it. Right. And maybe students in my other class have a different assignment related to it, but everybody saw it. So we then also had these common experiences. We had all gone to see Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime together. And now that was something that was special for all 25 of us, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, And that happened in a particular geographic location. And getting there and leaving there was all part of the experience. So, um to to Dr. Scales and I and to the wonderful faculty who who were often on the trip with us like I mean we just like all stars you know we had Richard Russell and Hope Johnston and Lynn Tatum um Greg Garrett uh Tom Hanks I mean mm-hmm. we had amazing people on the trip uh all of us embraced the idea that the learning was happening all over wherever we were in in Edinburgh we went to a Cayley and they learned to dance mm-hmm. um and that was part of the cultural experience that everybody got, whether it had to do with your class or not. There's the, some the the magic I think of study abroad. It sounds like is is partly this mix of formal and informal learning that happens. That that I think thoughtful faculty try to incorporate in regular you know residential classes, but it it just screams to be done in study abroad. It does, and it's an intense experience studying abroad, yeah. right? The that each day feels like two days and mm-hmm. um, a week feels Especially like... Especially when you land and you're trying to yeah. overcome the jet lag. Right. <laughs> it really is two days. It does. <laughs> and and so um, you're in this intense experience. Your senses are alerted because you're in new environments. And so if you imagine us like, you know, all the pores of our intellect are open. We mm-hmm. can Things can come in more easily. And so the whole time there's this receptivity to learning and to growth. And so you can maximize it every day. It's not just in the dedicated so-called class times. I mean, they're learning important things on that trip when we're on a bus and somebody whispers to another student, uh, I can't get used to them driving on the wrong side of the road. And one of the faculty says they're driving on the other side of the road. Uh Uh-huh. We, we don't need to say right or wrong. And those are the kind of conversations that happen casually. And you notice by the end of the trip that they're shifting yeah. from thinking of everything that they've done in their past and in their home state, neighborhood, whatever, as being the universal, obvious, right way things are done to yep. realizing that um, the world is much bigger. Yeah. Uh, and And I think... We, all of us who do this trip, and I think any study abroad, see it as a outcome to teach the students to decentralize themselves, to yep. decenter themselves, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, to decenter themselves, to adopt a genuine sense of humility at the face of the rest of the world. And literally relocating yourself is the best way to do that. Yeah. You So you used the word intense, and that made me think about uh, how... When you're doing a study abroad with students, you probably see them grow in all in all kinds of ways. And as a faculty person, you have a little bit more sort of certainty that the growth is happening as a result of this intense experience. Whereas when we're teaching, you know, in a regular semester uh, on campus, students might be growing, but for all sorts of reasons unrelated to our <laughs> our courses that that unless they t- tell us, you know, that something was significant. So what other ways do you see students growing intellectually, emotionally, socially? I see them growing in how they articulate their response to literature and works of art. 
that they're, again, it's, there's something about receptivity, about their openness mm-hmm. and their ability to notice that is intensified by being in a unusual location. Um, their, their noticing is, um, systems are turned up, right? Yeah. So they, they then notice things in, uh, something they've read with more subtlety. Right. Um, and if you can partner them, a location to talk about something that is that they have read, uh, which heightens it, then you just get this magic happening. Um, you know, Dr. Scales talked to them about class and English society. That's a great reading, but then put them on a bus with her and ride the local buses of Oxford into other neighborhoods, get off the bus and go into a store and buy something and leave again. Mm-hmm. Their ability to notice um, has is different because of their what they're physically doing. I take them to uh, sit in a beautiful stately home, the Winston Churchill's family home, uh, where the grounds were uh, designed by Capability Brown, this great landscape designer, who is subject matter in Tom Stoppard's play Arcadia. Well, they've read Arcadia, but then mm-hmm. we just sit on the grounds. We, we take the bus there. We walk along the grounds. We found a beautiful place to sit, and we talk about the ideas about life and time and memory and mortality that are in this play while we're sitting in a beautiful location. And what those students say about their recognition of really sophisticated, subtle ideas is amazing. And it's not something that they would say in another physical circumstance. And I see it. And sometimes they see it too. And they're sort of surprised at themselves. Have you had opportunities to have students who you had studying abroad and then in classes with you after the fact and do you what, what sort of things do you notice long term about how they've how they've grown how they what they've learned i do have a small number of those i teach so many majors classes that it's mostly happened with students who went on the trip who were also majors in my department mm-hmm. and um, one thing i notice is that they always feel like we have a secret between us <laughs> they and I, there's always this little smile of recognition, like, oh, you're my travel partner, you're yeah. my buddy, yeah. which I like. Well, there's a closeness that mm-hmm. just comes from travel. Right. Yeah. And and that's helpful. Feeling connected to a faculty member like that long term mm-hmm. does a lot for students. Yeah. So I like that. Um, but I also can think of one student in particular who seemed to, and time does a lot of things, so I'm not going to credit this only to travel and study abroad, but who seem to um, have a sort of restless need to uh, fill the space with talking and gestures and and self a lot mm-hmm. uh, before the trip. And I noticed afterwards a, a much more mature, settled ability to listen. Yeah. And I want to think that some of that came from being quiet by necessity at times on study abroad. You learn how to turn your personal volume down on a bus. Mm -hmm. You learn that you need to be quiet and really listen because things are unfamiliar. You learn that it's not all about you. Yeah. And I really do think that the student grew in in their better understanding of self uh, because of studying and time. I was surprised when I did some some training, as I think you know, with study abroad faculty at how often public transportation gets mentioned in like no matter where they're going well, especially in Europe where there's just a lot of public transportation because 
there's just not that in Central Texas. <laughs> so that is such a huge difference for, you know, I, I used to live in, uh, in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota, and I took the bus for years. I didn't even own a car. So that wouldn't have been as big a, as big a, a shift for, you know, students who are coming from Chicago or students who are coming from, uh, you know, from, from the Twin Cities or something like that. But we're from Waco, Texas. Yeah. And where, where or we anywhere our in students. Texas, really. Our yes. students do not have much experience with public transportation. It intimidates them a mm-hmm. lot at the beginning. And nothing makes me prouder than seeing them at the end of the trip just effortlessly navigating the tube. Yep. Um, and reading train signs and deciding, well, I've got a, some free time. We decide to take the train to Bath. We're going to go there for the day. We'll be back. Yep. We'll see you. Mm-hmm. And the and walking to the train station to handle that on their own. When at the beginning of the trip, they looked terrified. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that is a. It's about confidence. It's about a sense that you are capable of handling something. And and we tell them if you get on the wrong tube car, or the wrong train, going the wrong direction. You have this pass. You have this ticket. Just get off. Yep. Reorient yourself and go the other way. Is that not a life lesson? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. If you find that you've gone two stops the wrong direction, you don't have to just keep riding. You right. can get off <laughs> and reorient yourself and get back on the right train. And learning to do that and internalizing that kind of confidence and self-direction is literally self-direction. <laughs> That's it, right. It is transformational. Mm-hmm. I, I have no doubt. I see it in my own children who went with me on the study abroad for years and were free to just, uh, you know, one was a little older than our, our students on the trip, one was a little younger, and they were uh, free to to go and do these things on their own as well because they had learned how, and I know that it transformed them as well. How did it change or do you think affect your dynamic with the students bringing your bringing your own family? Along on the trip. Oh, the students loved it. Yeah. They loved it. They felt um, that they were, that rather than that closing me off, it opened it up. That yeah. somehow now they were one of my offspring. Mm-hmm. Um, and my children, um, you may find this surprising, but they're both very outgoing. <laughs> and um, they would make relationships with the students. And they're, they're, they were good at noticing what somebody might need yep. on a trip, on mm-hmm. an outing and sitting with that person to help them. And so our students felt that they had entered into this sibling relationship with the with my children yeah. and therefore this kinship with me. I think it was helpful. Well I've never I've never taught abroad and so I'm a little bit jealous of that of of experiencing that with the family and with your students because I I am always thinking about how can I how can I authentically and naturally sort of bring that part of myself into into the classroom I, I i just have a memory when i was an undergrad of an instructor that i did not know like the first slide he showed was a picture of his kids and i kind of rolled my eyes <laughs> and so i thought you know there's something good there's something good at the heart of that but if it feels forced like in the regular classroom it can turn some students off so has has that made you reflect any on about how you bring yourself, your your non-professional self, your personal self into the classroom in the regular classroom well, like, setting? Again, I'm in this unique situation where that's almost a requirement of teaching what I teach. Um, I mean, I teach academic courses in theater, but I'm in a department that is primarily artists teaching their art form to students. Mm-hmm. And I also practice as a theater artist. And we we really 
can't um, leave ourselves out of the art making. And so we're always trying to be authentic and present as our actual artistic selves in our teaching with our students. So it could be that one of the reasons why study abroad sat well on me as a teacher is that I had already learned a way to be uh, three-dimensional with my students. And I didn't feel, I mean, it doesn't mean that I'm an open book. Uh, That's not healthy either. I have boundaries, but uh, I am three-dimensional with my students. And I had already sorted out a way to do that that felt authentic before I did study abroad. So that may have been one of the reasons why I liked it. Mm-hmm. And for the students, uh, some more in terms of the student experience, has teaching abroad helped you to think about ways to kind of establish or, I use this word in the best sense, manufacture that same kind of receptivity that you that you saw, that you see in students when they're abroad? Because it takes a little bit of disorienting, like kind of purposeful disorienting to make that happen. It does. And it's a great question. Um, I mean, you, college life disorients a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe part of what you're speaking to is something about first semester freshmen right? yeah. mm-hmm. and how we can maximize their receptivity. I sometimes do teach first semester freshmen, and I do actually think there's something similar going on there. Yeah. Um, probably I the closest I get to doing that is in because I, I offer a lot of readings of source material plays and the dramatic text from history to my students, probably something that's akin is me offering them things that I know will disorient them. I try to have them read not the things that um, are most familiar, but the things that will make them notice how different they are Mm -hmm. in their own circumstances from the assumed audience of that piece. And I tell them where you notice your expectations not being met, that's where all your antennae should go up and you realize, oh, that's telling me something about the original makers of this and their their assumptions about their audience and how I am different from them. And that's where we as historians dig in to to find the learning. So yeah. that's probably similar, but it's it's not the same as if we were doing that on a beautiful rolling hill in, <laughs> in Oxford. That's right. That's right. Well, and the key to doing that well, I think, in the traditional class setting is to position yourself as the as the instructor to position yourself as an ally, a support with them in that disoriented experience, because that happens naturally when you're studying abroad. There's this thing, this foreign experience, and you're shoulder to shoulder with them, rather than maybe unintentionally kind of kind of getting positioned as the adversary. Like when you assign something really challenging to a student, if it's not done quite in the right way, they can see you as the, the source opponent. of discomfort, right? Yes, yeah, and right. not and not an ally in that, right? So that's just something that I think we all have to think yes. through, and maybe there's a good a good uh, you know metaphor in that study abroad experience for that. Well, since not every faculty has this experience, what would be your pitch to faculty who have ever thought about doing this? Oh, you should just do it. You should get rid of all of the practical concerns about, um, will my, well, I'm, I'm trying to write something right now. Will it slow me down too much? Or I'm uh, afraid of preparing a class that would operate on that timeline when I haven't done it in that way before. Throw all of those uh, you know, or put them all on the side and look at what you'll get from this instead and think of how it will not um, keep you from other things, but will open up 
experiences and an ability to have a relationship with your students that you could not have at home. And I have to add a relationship with faculty peers yeah. mm-hmm. that is different. Um, you know, that smirk that the student has for somebody that they got to go on a trip with, that's nothing compared to the bond between two faculty members yeah. who successfully, or three, who successfully got, you know, 24 students through Heathrow Airport uh, and, and home again and uh, didn't lose their minds. I mean, the, the bond we have, the the dinners together, the conversations and on airplanes and buses, that is that is good stuff and yeah. it matters. Yeah. Uh, it's worth the effort. And uh, yeah, you can usually bring, you know, a family member with you and share the experience of learning with them in a yeah. way that is, you know, transformational. Yeah. Well great. Deanna Totenbeard, thank you so much for joining the show and talking with us today. Thanks for asking me. Our thanks again to Dr. Deanna Totenbeard for joining our show today and giving us such a rich conversation on learning in a foreign land. That's it. That's our show. Thank you so much for joining us, and we we'll hope you'll join us next time for Professors Talk Pedagogy.